God's people said. Amen. Thanks. You can be seated. Lord, we want to take a moment and uh, reflect on the reality that we are hopeless without you. Utterly hopeless. But because of your death, because of your resurrection, there is hope beyond compare. So, Lord, it it is about you. It is all about you. It is all about your glory. And we thank you. Father, just uh, this week, I I pray for Kim Clark as she's recovering from surgery. Lord, would you just uh, help to heal her body and uh, help her to be patient and to stay relaxed and to stay down as she recovers. Father, we thank you so much for Doug Yoder being able to have his double hip replacement surgery this week. God, that's been a you thing. And we thank you for it. And Lord, I also just pray for this dear family that lost a daughter out in Philadelphia. And Oh, would the truth of Christ be much stronger than the pain of their loss. You're so big. You take even what seems like the worst of situations to us and use it for your glory. Thanks. Thanks for being our God. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, in Genesis 1, we find that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then at that point as well, he created these two individuals, Adam and Eve. And it was there with Adam and Eve, he established the most important human relationship on the planet. He established marriage relationships. And after establishing creation and after establishing Adam and Eve and the marriage relationship, God then asked Adam and Eve and basically reproduce. I want more like you. And the family began. And God looked over at it all and he said, this is very good. We spent the last three weeks really keying in on the topic of marriage. And uh, today we begin the first of three Sundays talking about on the relationship of the parent-child relationship. And parents, I just want for you to know, God did not just bless you with a little one or two or three or ten and then leave you on your own to uh, just figure it out how to raise them His way. God has equipped you with a parenting manual. And that manual is right here. This is the manual for marriage. This is the manual for parenting. And uh, the question, therefore, really comes out of that is this, parents. Do you know what this says about parenting? And if you do, are you doing it? 
And I want to let you know that I'm assuming there are many in here this morning that frankly would have to answer that question. Say, honestly, Doug, I really don't know what the Bible says about parenting. And I just want you to know, I am so thrilled you're here. Because that's my job for the next today and the next two weeks, is to try and equip us with the word on how to be able to implement the scriptures into our parenting. Oh, by the way, children and teens who are living at home, I want for you to know something. God has things for you as well. In other words, this isn't just about your parents. This is about you as well in all of this. And, 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 oh, yeah, grandparents. Now, you may not have the kids at home, but listen, you have influence. You have great opportunity, and you need to understand what the Word of God has to say about children, whether it's with your own grandchildren or others. Oh, and by the way, those of you who are married who don't have children yet, maybe someday you will, and you're going to want to know what the Scriptures say about this. Oh, and by the way, those of you who aren't married or singled out of the home, maybe someday God will allow you to bless you with children, and you'll want to know, right? Absolutely. Oh, and by the way, children and teens, I know this is like freak out, Bill, but maybe someday you'll get married and maybe someday you'll have children. How are we going to wait on that one? Well, that's really my task here for the next couple Sundays is for us to be able to talk about this topic. Well, over the past week, I've spent a good amount of time, I was doing research into just trying to find out what's stated out there about the state of the family, the state of parenting today. And I wanted to put together some research and numbers and statistics to be able to talk about. But, you know, I walked away after doing that for a good amount of time, and I'm not going to share those stats with you. And here's why. I was just depressed by the amount of doom and gloom that is being talked about. And I want to take some time this morning to talk about this issue here, just for probably 10 minutes here. Because, folks, I'm not that doom and gloom about it. I'm not that doom and gloom about it. Listen, here's kind of what I got this sense as I spent time with this data and going on and reading what these researchers were looking at and comparing things to. And, and it's kind of like this. It's kind of like what's happened is, is that there, there's this idea that, that, that there's this massive downward spiral in parenting that's going on today. And in other words, parenting is just going down the tanker like really fast and really hard and really quick. And in all of that, what was so often done was it was so often related as though this, as though the way parenting has been done in the past, it was done really, really well in the past. And it's not been until the last one, two, three, four decades that the toilet tanker began hearing getting flushed. It's kind of like... Some of these some of these researchers are looking back and going, you know, shows Leave It to Beaver, The Waltons, and Andy Griffith. Those weren't uh, TV uh, shows at the time. By the way, Andy Griffith, like the all-time best show ever. Okay, a total fan. And I, as I thought about this, I was just hurt to the core because I realized that's not true. 
the Andy Griffith show. I, I thought that was. And, and, and literally, that's the way so much of the researchers look at this. It's like back in those days, Leave it to Beaver, Andy Griffith, The Waltons. Those weren't TV shows that were written coming out of Hollywood. Those were actually the way the majority of everybody parented. And in that, that's kind of it's looked that way. And then it's kind of like looked as though today there's this thing of that what really represents what's going on today. Uh, Jerry Springer is probably a pretty good representation of what happens in families or, or the Sopranos or the Osbournes. Now, there's the real American family. Or maybe even better than that, the ultimate representation of what's happening in the home and in parenting today is The Simpsons. I mean, that's a cartoon, but it's like, I'm serious, as they talk about it, I'm kind of like, listen, folks, we've lost a perspective, and in many ways I think has taken so much hope away from parents of today. And let me take ourselves back and think through some things. Yes, every generation has unique circumstances that go with it. But there has been no generation that has nailed the parenting reality. And in fact, let's go to the scriptures in our thinking here. Adam and Eve. Who did Adam and Eve have? Cain and Abel. Now, those guys had it together. Well, one did. And as I remember the story in Genesis, it talks about how there's this jealousy thing. We won't get into the whole story thing going on. And Cain does what to his brother? Now, would you say there's family issues going on there? I mean, that's maybe more like the Sopranos back in that day. Okay, let's, let's keep on thinking here. Jacob and Esau, Genesis 25 to 27. Rebecca, their mom, is pregnant with these two twins. And Genesis 25, 21 tells us this. The children, these two twins, struggled within her. Hey, listen, if you've got two kids and they fuss and fight, these ones were in the womb going at it. And God talks about it, how that the Lord literally says they are representing, they are two divided nations in the womb. I'm so glad I'm a guy. <laughs> Just trying to picture that. Well, but then we, we keep on going. Esau grows up. Esau and Jacob, they both grew up. But Esau grows up into the, I'll call it like this Gaston-like stud. Okay? He's this you know, army or this hunting stud guy. Joseph is a little bit more like mom's iron chef. Okay? Maybe we'll call it that. And, and we find out that mom and dad... Isaac, Abraham's son, Isaac and uh, Rebekah are playing favorites with their kids. In fact, Genesis 25, 28 says, Isaac, dad, loved Esau more. And Rebekah loved Jacob more. Now, there's some great parenting going on there. Then we keep later on. Iron Chef Jacob plays his Gaston brother's stomach for his birthright. And rips them off. And then later on, get this, dad Isaac is about to die. He's blind on his deathbed. So what does mom do? What does his wife do? She goes and gets her favorite son, Jacob, to pl- help him plan to con their, his, her blind, dying husband to rip off to finally confirm the birthright. Now, there's a good family. 
And it doesn't stop there. Joseph and his brothers. Joseph, the second youngest of Jacob, the second youngest child of of all Jacob's children. And it says this, like father, like son. Jacob loved, uh, I'm sorry, loved, Joseph was loved more by Jacob than the other sons. And the brothers knew it. And they couldn't stand Joseph's guts because of it. Well, Joseph wasn't necessarily the smartest teen on the planet. Because Joseph has these dreams. I'm the youngest of three brothers, and I love this story because I would have gotten pulverized. Joseph comes to his brothers and said, hey, I had a dream, and I had this dream that all of your stuff is going to bow down to all of my stuff. (laughs) Can you imagine? That's calling for a pummeling right there. And then on top of that, he also tells them that, oh, yeah, by the way, the sun and the moon and the stars, they're going to bow down to me, too. (laughs) Dude, like, so how do his brothers handle it? Well, like most brothers would handle it, they plan to kill him. (laughs) And so what do they do? They literally plan a scheme. They call him out into the country. They throw him in a pit. There's a shred of guilt about it all. So then they see this guy going and selling slaves. So he, they, they decide, you know what, let's not kill him. Let's give him away to slave traders. And, and he goes off. Let's, can we say dysfunctional family all the way around? I mean, this was not leave it to beaver. Then we go to Eli, a priest, 1 Samuel chapter 2. Here's what the Bible says about Eli's son. And again, Eli is a priest, verse 12, that his son's were worthless and did not know the Lord. (laughs) But maybe here's part of why. Because the scriptures also say about Eli and his parenting, it says, why do you scorn my sacrifices, Eli, and my offerings that I commanded? And honor your sons above me. This was a child-centered dad. Then God says to Eli, I'm about to punish this house forever for the iniquity that you knew your sons blasphemy, and yet you did not restrain them. There's a parenting problem going on here with this dad. And last of all, Jonathan and Saul and David. David has been anointed by king, uh, king by Samuel. Um, he eats every night at the table with King Saul and Jonathan, Saul's son, and the army commander. They eat at the table for dinner every night. Now, David is kind of, let's just call him a a Saul's harp comforter guy. (laughs) One of those. And he's there. And by the way, David and Goliath's already taken place. He's already been told that he is going to be king one day. And uh, the people are really kind of talking about David because of the whole uh, David and Goliath thing. And Saul is jealous, and Saul has been trying to scheme and plan to kill David. And yet they eat dinner every night. Now, in all of this, what ends up happening is David hides. Now, King Saul questions David's absence at the dinner table because he hasn't been there for a couple nights. So Jonathan, David's best friend, you getting all this? David's best friend, who is Saul's son, helps to cover for David to dad. 
Well, dad isn't too happy about this whole thing. And listen to what Saul says to his son, Jonathan. You son of a perverse, rebellious woman. Wow. Hey, some of you know about that. Some of you have grown up in homes where a dad or a mom has been angry and lashed out and called you things and said things to you that are sinful and wrong. And yet this is what Saul says to his son, Jonathan. Well, jump ahead, and David is king at the time. Abonijah, David's son, pretty high on himself, and he says he's going, to become, he's going to be the king. Problem with that, dad's already the king. And so you say, what's wrong with this brat attitude in David's son? Maybe this answers some of that. 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 6. God says, never at any time did David displease Abonijah by asking, why have you done thus and so? Listen, parenting is an incredible challenge. It's an incredible challenge. One of the most challenging things I've ever been a part of. And I just, part of this brings in the reality of folks. The parenting struggle has been going on ever since sin came into the picture. And in many ways, doesn't that give you hope? I'm serious. Doesn't that give you hope? Because this is a process we're all a part of. None of us have nailed it. And I personally, I'm just so sick and tired of Christians and churches just kind of sometimes acting like everybody's got it together. Cut it. Stop it. Not here. This is a place where we're going to be real about truth. We're going to be real about sin. And we're going to be real about the challenges. And we're going to be real about the hope of God's word within all those other real things. And so that's where we're going for the next couple of weeks. How do we get this? How do we bring it together? It's interesting. Even a Chinese proverb says it's harder to raise a nation than a family. And I think they're right. Having come out of the business world and having been a business owner, I'm just going to tell you straight up. I think it's easier to start a business and to have a successful business than it is easier to raise kids. It's harder to raise kids. And raising a child is not a cultural or environmental or a generational battle. Listen to me. Raising children is a battle for the heart. This is all about the battle for your child's or your future child's or your grandchild's or your heart. That's what this is all about. And here's the hope. God's word is the source of help for the heart. And so when we talk about this, please get this, if nothing else, over these next couple weeks and today, I'm not talking about just external stuff going on. Yes, we work on shaping the externals, and yes, we teach, and yes, we train, and yes, we correct, and yes, we do all of this stuff. But I want to tell you this, children are not equations. 
Because usually when parents and people ask the question, like Karen and I, when we first had our kids, and we'd say, so how do we raise our kids? And that here's what that means. Here's what that means in our culture. Give me the equation. Tell me the 10, the 5, the 4, the 2, the 12, the 20 things to do, and I'll work on doing those things. Kind of like this. I think today here's the general thing. A, a child needs a parent or parents. A child needs a sibling. A child needs a home. A child needs a, a parents with a job. A child needs a home with two cars and a pet. They need an education. And they've got to have some sports experience and art experience because if they don't, they're going to be pretty warped. And by the way, they cannot have any life scars happen in their life. Like the whole being bullied or the whole like something bad happening in their lives. We've got to protect them from every hurt. And if we do that, then we're going to crank out a decent kid who's going to be a good spouse and who's going to be a good parent one day. Listen, children are not equations. Children are people. Created in the image of God, and they have a broken heart. And it's all about the heart. All of life is just about the heart. So where do we go? Well, we begin as parents by starting out with the right priorities. And so let's take the next uh, 15, 20 minutes here and, and cover a couple things for our time today to lay some foundation for these next couple weeks. The parents' priorities. The parents' priorities. Let's uh, get at this. One, a parent's priority is to have a gospel-centered home. Is to have a gospel-centered home. Now, what's a gospel-centered home? Well, let's do this. We haven't got your Bibles out yet because today's kind of a little bit of an introductory thing. But grab your Bibles. Because around here at Harvest, we don't talk about the Bible. I don't put the Bible up on the screen. I want it in your hands, and I want your eyes looking into it. So you got a Bible? Grab your Bible. And if you don't have a Bible, we're going to have some people walking around here in just a second. Flag them down. They'll let you borrow a Bible today to use, okay? And here's what I want for you to do. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Do we have some, can we get some ushers with Bibles? Just Thanks, guys. Oh, did we already do it? Hey. <laughs> You guys are like quick. Anybody else need a Bible? <laughs> okay, here we go. First uh, Corinthians chapter two. What do we mean by a gospel-centered home? A gospel-centered home. First uh, Corinthians chapter two, verse two. Paul says, "For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified." That's what we're talking about. Paul has this, this desire, this thinking in his mind that he's like, listen, here's what life is all about. Life is all about knowing Jesus Christ and him crucified and what all that means. That's a gospel-centered home. Turn over, go hang a right. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Love these two verses. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. For the love of Christ controls us. It compels us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him. That's a gospel-centered life. That's what a gospel-centered home is to be about. It's about Christ in our home. Hang in another right. Go to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. 
What do we mean by gospel-centered? Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in Him. Rooted and built up in Him. Strengthened in the faith as you were taught. And overflowing with thankfulness. Listen, the, 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 the life that's following Jesus Christ isn't just about receiving Christ as my Savior. That's the starting point. But receiving Christ as my Savior so that I can live for Him. And there's a growing process. None of us are there yet. But we're all to be on the path by receiving Christ. And then moving towards the knowing Christ. It never ends. It's always a continuum. It's always a growth up. Yes, we fail. Yes, we sin. But yes, we repent. Yes, we correct. And we get back on. A gospel-centered home would be kind of like Joshua 24, 15. It says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's what we're talking about. This isn't about a self-centered home. Listen to, life is not about me. Man, wish it was. But it isn't. And I love you enough to say to you, life is not about you either. That's self-centered living. It's not where there's less conflict in the home. It's not the kids are healthy. It's not the kids are getting grades, good grades. All of life is about Christ and knowing Him and growing in Him. And so it's appropriate for me to ask you at this point, Hey, parents, uh, grandparents, uh, singles, as you're preparing the pattern for you in your life, have a question for you. Is the gospel, Jesus Christ, really the center of your home? And if you say yes, well, how so? How, how, How do you know that? Well, here's five questions maybe you'd ask yourself about your home. Is biblical truth being applied to home life situations? Michael Dotlitz gave me permission to share this, but the other week he emailed me after we had the sermon about uh, uh, the guys, guys betray yourself. <laughs> Loved this. Their 11-year-old daughter, what, were you guys just doing dishes or something? I think it was they were doing dishes, and all of a sudden their, their daughter just turns to Michael and says, So, Daddy, um, how are you betraying yourself for Mom? Here's the cool part. Michael was able to answer some of that. Some things he's doing. Listen. Is the scripture, is biblical truth a part of your home life? Is it just a part of the DNA? Another one. Are family members seeking forgiveness of each other in your home? I mean, when was the last time, mom, dad, when was the last time, husband, wife, When was the last time, single, that you've gone and asked for someone else for their forgiveness? You see, gospel-centered means that we realize that all of us are sinners. And all of us, uh, we're not talking about losing their salvation, but we're talking about making what's right, right. And are there times in your home where parents, you're asking your children for their forgiveness, for your blowing up at them? For you're not responding the way Christ would want them to res- you to respond? If not, why not? Are you so proud that you can't ask your children for forgiveness? And then we expect for them to ask for forgiveness. Is forgiveness a common thing in your home? Is conflict lovingly dealt with? 
or is it swept under the rug and covered over? You know, there's sometimes love covers some things, and other times our own selfishness covers things that need to be addressed. Fourth, here's another one. Is there humility and gentleness in the home that exudes the reality that every family member is growing and changing? Parents, listen, we oftentimes forget that our kids are not the same age as us. They haven't had the experiences we've had. They haven't made the mistakes we've made. They haven't had the successes that we've done. They're back in the process. And oftentimes, it's like, boy, the little kid's irritating me because he threw up. I mean, like, what's he supposed to do about it? Or it's like, he can't hammer a nail in yet. Well, have you taught him? And I just say, in the process, is there an understanding where there's grace and growth that's a part of the family? Uh, one other one is, is the love and joy of Christ a fairy tale, or is it really lived out in your home? In other words, do you come to church and kind of like, Jesus, 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 Jesus. And then we go home and it's just like, ah! Think from a kid's perspective. What, what, like what's going on here? It's to be integrated in all of life. And is that happening? Well, we're to have a gospel-centered home. Also, a prayer's priority is to have a marriage-focused home. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because of the last three Sundays in Ephesians 5. But is it a marriage-focused home? If you're a single parent, I would call this, is this a parent-focused home? Listen, too many homes are child-centered nowadays. Remember the TPT deal? You who've been here for a bit, TPT, uh, I was born to my mom and dad, Jerry and Janice, and there was a temporary reality to that when I was born. And then later on when Karen and I got married, and the whole planet stopped for a day. <laughs> and we got married. That marriage becomes a permanent relationship. Yes, I still call my mom, mom. My dad's passed away, but I still call my mom, mom. But I don't obey her anymore like I had to back then. I am now in a permanent relationship with my wife. And we have Luke and Emily. And Luke and Emily, Emily's down out at Cedarville, and Luke's at the University of North Carolina. And so, and they're leaving, and they're going, and it's like, go! (laughs) And there's a temporary reality, and we are seeing that especially right now in our lives because of our kids. Because oftentimes what ends up happening, the kids grow up, and then the kids are the center of everything that's taking place in the home. Now, I realize they take up a whole... I'm not talking about how much time do I spend with things, but I'm talking about priorities. We're going to lay more of this out in the coming weeks here. But in this whole thing, listen, and when we have a children, Karen and I, our kids know, you do not separate us. We are a force to be reckoned with in your face. (laughs) Okay, a little out of control there. But you don't come between us. You don't. One of our nuclear bomb correction issues was if you go to mom and ask for something, and then you come to dad and you don't tell dad what mom said. No. We're a team together. And there's a permanent reality on that. And then so often when the kids leave home, the parents are like, man, what's like? I don't even know who you are. I don't know what we have, what's going on. Listen. That's a child-centered home. And if you have a child-centered home, you need to be listening these couple weeks here. 
Because God does not condone a child-centered home. Eli. And yes, those wonderful little balls of blessing take so much effort and so much time. And listen, parents, put it into them. Put it into them. But this marriage thing, that's priority. And if you're a single parent, there's a reality where that needs to carry out as well. That they understand you are the adult in the home, and they are not. We'll talk about that again more in the coming weeks. Too often, uh, temporary, permanent, temporary turns into temporary, temporary, permanent. A couple gets married and they're already dealing with career and stuff and family and church and trying to wrestle with the priorities. And then a child comes along and what seems to just end up happening is a wife's primary obligation that begins to become her child. And understand there's a lot of obligation there, but not her husband. And the husband's primary obligation begins to morph into ensuring financial security for the family or just hanging out with the kids or his hobbies and not his wife. And it's the normal pattern that takes place. But I just want to tell you, I just got to love you enough to bring it out and say, it's not the right pattern. Yes, they take time. But the husband's primary responsibility is his wife. Wife, your biggest ministry in life is your husband. And then they begin growing into different parenting programs and the permanent gets sacrificed on the altar of the temporary. Husbands, let's all turn to Ephesians 6. Ephesians 6, 4. Ephesians 6. What's the first word in Ephesians 6, 4? Fathers, isn't this interesting? Fathers, do not exasperate your children. What, doesn't God care about the moms? Yes, we're going to bring them in the next couple weeks as we see some passages that talk directly to the moms about their involvement, their teaching in the children's life. But remember what we talked about, guys? Your neck is on the chopping block first. You are Mr. First Responsibility. You have a headship responsibility. And this is just accentuating that it's following right after has been talked about marriage in Ephesians 5 about the husband and the wife and yes both are involved but when it comes right down to it dads if love is not happening in the home with your wife and your kids step it up as we talked about it is your responsibility you are first Mr. Responsibility and wives moms you are second Mrs. Responsibility Parents' priority is to establish and foster a gospel-centered, marriage-focused home. Now, what's your purpose? What's your purpose? What are you supposed to be doing? Uh, Let me give you five bad purposes in raising a child. I'm raising my child to make me proud or responsible or to be a good spouse, good parent. Those are all good things. I don't have a problem with that. My kids are just thrilling the living tar out of me. But... I love it. It's just they are making me proud in the right kind of way. But that's not the goal. That's not the purpose. Or another purpose, to carry on the family name. 
the family business or the farm or the reputation. Another is to take care of me when I'm old. (laughs) That's why I'm raising you. Or another one here is to be my best buddy, to be my best friend. Listen, children don't need a best friend in you. They need a mom. They need a dad. That's what they need. And then later on when they leave home, buds. I love talking politics with my son. I love talking about marriage stuff with my daughter. (laughs) As scary as it is. But I just love, you know, the whole talking about things of life. And it's just such a delight. But not while they're there. Yeah, have fun. Have a blast. Instead, here's, here's what I'd lay out. How about this? To raise my children is the beginning of the statement. To raise my children. To raise. That's the kind of thing where it's not an event. It's not about giving birth. It's not just about providing a home. It's not about providing experiences in life and structure in life. But it's about raising them. It's about they start here and they move to here. It's about forming and shaping and mentoring. They're not a pet and they're not a trophy. They're children. And we raise them. Uh, to raise my children to leave home. Well, that sounds awful mean, Doug. Like you have a child and you want to get rid of them? No. Genesis 2.24 and Ephesians 5.31. The purpose of, every, of having a child is to raise them to leave home. And I want to tell you, as we go in these next couple of weeks, this is so important. Parents, with your one-year-old, your three-year-old, your five-year-old, your seven-year-old, everything in life that's taking place comes about in them to where you're looking at them and you're thinking, this is not about an inconvenience in my life at the moment situation. This is about how does this impact about them leaving home? That's the constant, constant, constant attitude and mindset you have to have. It's not about getting through today. There are some of those days where it's like that. But when it comes right down to it, today is about them leaving. Tomorrow is about them leaving. Two months from now, it's about them leaving. Not that I can't wait till it happens, but raising them to leave. To raise my children, to leave home, equipped to handle life biblically. I don't want them just to raise home and be a good citizen, or to leave home and be a good citizen. I don't want to raise my child just to be moral. Listen, someone who hates God can raise a child that's moral in our society. That's not the purpose. The purpose is to be able to raise them so that when they leave the home, they have been equipped. They have, they have been tooled up in life. They've been given experiences. They've been given training. They've been helped along the process so that when they leave home, they have everything on the table. That's the ultimate dream. Everything on the table to be able to then make a choice in their life as to whether they want to carry the baton with Christ from there. But I'm trying to do everything I can to influence them towards that reality. Love Jesus. Love Jesus. Live for Him. Integrating the Scriptures in their lives. Convincing them this is the best way. And then ultimately, it is their choice. It is their choice. My purpose is to raise my children to leave home equipped to handle life biblically. Well, let me just illustrate this and then we're going to finish off. 
from a biblical perspective, uh, you have children and, and, and children that were greatly blessed by them. And, it's, and, and they are born with a heart, uh, the inner man, the inner woman. And, and I want for you to know, they're not born biblically with a, 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 a budding flower. They're the cutest little things, aren't they? And you hold them, you take them home, and you just oh, cuddle them, and they're so cute, and they're so amazing, and they look like you, and you know all this kind of stuff. And yet, here's the reality. All of a sudden, a little while, you start seeing this thing in them. And the first word they learn is, me. Or, no. <laughs> and you see in their heart, Ephesians 2.1, uh, their heart is spiritually dead, Ephesians 2.1. Their heart is deceitful. The heart is deceitful and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Jeremiah 17, 9. Proverbs 22, 15. Parents, listen to this. Bound within the child, bound within the heart of a child is foolishness. I don't like saying that about my kids. But when they were born, that was the state. That was the condition of their heart. That's what was going on. That's what the scriptures talk about. So I have this incredible blessing with a heart problem. And then I've got about this 18 years of time here to when they leave home and they head out and begin the transition of heading out. And then with them, I want to be able to see a heart in them that is characterized as redeemed. In other words, that there's been a point in time in their life where they've come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. I can't make them do that, but that's what I desire. And so everything is around helping them come to know Christ. And then I want them to be equipped, and we're going to be talking about that, to handle life biblically. And I want for them to be learners, Psalm 139. Oh, God, if there's anything to change in me, show me the end of Psalm 139, David says. I want my kids to be learners. I want them to have tender hearts to spiritual things and tender hearts to learning and not the proud arrogant heart, frankly, that was bound up in them when they were born because of sin. And this is what I want to see happen. And that's why my priority has to be a gospel-centered, marriage-focused home. And my purpose is to raise my children, to leave home equipped to handle life biblically. Well, so how do I do that? (laughs) The parents plan. Let me just state this, and this is what the next two weeks are going to be about. The parents' plan, to see and use all of life to teach and train. All of life. Real quick. When our son was, Karen, how old was Luke when we did the baby diaper thing? 20 months. Our son was 20 months and Karen was working with Luke 20 months and he went in and he took all the diapers in the holder and he threw them all over the room. And so Karen comes in and, and pulls out the Bible, sits down with them, talks them through some of this stuff about what the scriptures say. Ephesians 6.1, children obey your parents. And Karen had said, you need to put the diapers away. And Luke didn't really want to do that. He didn't really want to do that. And so Karen brings the scriptures out, and he can't read. He doesn't know what's going on. But then they start, and so Karen's working with them and helping them putting the diapers back. And then later on, Karen says, Luke, what does the Bible say? Love this. From the mouths of babes. At 20 months, 
what does the Bible say? Put the diapers back. (laughs) That's exactly what it says. And even that moment became a training moment, and we're going to be talking more about it. Last, last thing, correction and instruction. We're going to be going to Ephesians 6, 4. This is what we're talking about in the next two weeks. How do we instruct our children? Why do we instruct? And then somehow, so this is going to be in the next two weeks, we'll be spending maybe uh, 15 to 20 minutes on some of the whys, and then I'm going to really try and get to some practicals on how we go about teaching children. Deuteronomy 6 and uh, other passages and just some practicality. And then after that, it's about the training that it talks about, the training that has some bite to it. Uh, <laughs> correction, uh, discipline areas in life. So I just want to leave it with this and say this, folks, parenting is actually quite simple. It's actually quite simple. How? Instruct and correct. Teach and train. Instruct and correct. What's your job today, parents? Instruct and correct. Instruct and correct. Instruct and correct, and the next week, instruct and correct, and the next, instruct and correct, and the next, instruct and correct, and instruct and correct, and they go together. Not a home that's just all about instruction and no correction, and not a home that's all about correction and no instruction. Too much correction comes without instruction along with it, and we exasperate our children because they don't know what's going on because they haven't been taught or they haven't been corrected. And I want to tell you, it's a delight to be able to look at children and watch them grow up, and we're going to work on how do we become a parent, uh, whether it's now, in the future, or as a grandparent, how do we come along these beautiful little buggers and help them to grow? Let me pray, and we'll head on out. God, thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you so much for your love. Thank you so much for your patience with us. Lord, I would ask, would you help us to be the kind of parents that don't parent uh, for the moment, but parent for the long haul? You're so good. In your name we pray. Amen. I forgot to mention.